Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, we have a very special guest, Mark Schaefer. Mark is a globally recognized keynote speaker, educator, consultant, and author of numerous books. His blog, Grow, is one of the top marketing blogs in the world. Mark also serves as the chief operating officer of B-Squared Media. He is a faculty member of the graduate studies program of my alma mater, Rutgers University. Be sure to purchase his most recent book, which we're going to talk about today, Cumulative Advantage, available on Amazon. Mark, we are very lucky and appreciative to have you here on Sales Lead Dog. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is my first time on your show, so it's pretty exciting for me. I'm hoping to have you back. You have a lot of books we can talk about. That's right. I have a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of good stuff to say. Cumulative Advantage, what was your inspiration for writing the book? As I examine my career, at least over the last 10 years, it's been focused really on one thing. How do we stand out in this world? I think this is the thing that most salespeople, marketing people, business owners are obsessed with today, or they should be. How can we be heard? How can we be seen? How can we be found? And problem is it's getting increasingly difficult. Chris, I just saw last week that the amount of content published on LinkedIn has doubled since the pandemic started in March. So if you thought it was hard to stand out before, it's even harder to stand out now. And the reality is that even if we're doing our best work, even if we're great, there's a very good chance we're going to be buried. And so this is really what I've been working on and studying for the last 10 years. And I think we're at the point now where we need to look at if we're leveling out, how do we get to that next level? How do we get seen at this next level? And I think at least part of the answer is this idea of momentum. How do we build momentum? So I went down this rabbit hole to figure out what is this about? What do you do? And it took lots of twists and turns, but it really led to some seminal research that was conducted in the 1960s and by a a very famous sociologist named Robert Merton. I'm sure nobody's heard of him because who can really know any famous sociologist, but he's very, very well known. But his work really hasn't been applied in very practical ways to humans and real people and real businesses. And so that was my journey is to go down this rabbit hole of what is really the system of momentum? What is the pattern of momentum and how do we apply this in our businesses? You start off your book by talking about, you contrast yourself, which I thought was very clever and enjoyable. You contrast yourself with Tim Ferriss. Can you tell us about that? Well, Chris, as I was doing research for the book, I was looking for people who started with no advantage, who just seemed like really improbable successes. And I was reading biographies and somehow Tim Ferriss came to mind, probably because he's everywhere. (laughs) And if you're not familiar with Tim, 
He wrote a best-selling book, New York Times bestseller called The 4-Hour Work Week. He is now a top angel investor. He has a top podcast. He's written three or four more best-selling books and literally everything this guy touches to gold. But if you look at where he was when he wrote the first book, and I'm not saying anything Tim hasn't said himself because he's been very, very honest and transparent about his life and career. But I mean, the guy had psychological problems and physical problems and he had financial problems and he was you know, burned out. But he talked about even thinking about committing suicide and then he lost his girl and he basically chucked everything and went to Europe and traveled around Europe trying to figure things out. And while he was there, he had the idea for this book which was rejected by 26 publishers. Now, if you can imagine from that point, 10 years later, he's hanging out with LeBron James and Hugh Jackman and Oprah. It just seems impossible. What happened to this guy? And it's probably no coincidence that what he did, what propelled his momentum matches up exactly with what this research shows and what my own original research shows, that he made certain good decisions, followed this path. I talk about these five real stepping stones toward momentum in the book, and that's how it happened for Tim. That's how it happened for me. And I think the great promise of this book is hope, that there's nothing in this book that anybody couldn't do. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to have a Rutgers education. Let's just say it, right? It's a great school or an Ivy League education that many of the case studies in this book were people who really started with nothing. They started in poverty and built themselves into really great careers and having great businesses. The title of the book is Cumulative Advantage. What is Cumulative Advantage? Well, this comes from this research that Merton did, and his famous first paper was called The Matthew Effect. And what he was trying to prove, really, and he he did this by studying Nobel Prize winners, was that there's this momentum that builds. He says the rich get rich and the poor get poor, because once you build that momentum, you just keep on going. And over time, this concept was sort of took on this new name of cumulative advantage, and it was applied to sports and entertainment and technology and business and almost every field. And it showed that once you start with some small advantage, if you play your cards right, you can create this unstoppable momentum. Now, the example that's used in sociology is a bank account. It's a simple one to understand. If someone has $1,000 and another person has $10,000, On day one, there's a $9,000 difference. If they both get a 5% interest rate, a level playing field, quote unquote, in five years, that difference will be $15,000 and the gap will continue to grow. Now, it doesn't have to be money. This has been applied to anything. And one of the best examples, I think, is Bill Gates. He didn't have a fancy education. He didn't grow up in a wealthy family, but here's what he had. When he was a teenager, he had access to early computer prototypes that nobody else had. He was coding before anybody else. Now, it wasn't just an idea. He pursued that curiosity. And that is an important point. It's not just about having an idea. 
momentum has to begin by pursuing that idea, by creating really a quest of this initial advantage. Now you break it down into five factors. The first is finding an initial advantage. Can you talk about that a bit? I think this is one of the eye-opening things in the book for most people. And what I show, and again, all of this is not my idea. It's backed up with a lot of research from very smart people. And in this case, there's this great researcher named Franz Johansson. He's an educator and an author, and he wrote a book called The Click Moment, which sounds like an SEO book, but it's a lot more interesting than that. What he shows, Chris, is that almost every successful person and successful business started with a random event. And I think you know, the Bill Gates example is one thing, right? A fun case study in the book that there was a track coach. You know, all his high school athletes had to wear these metal spikes. And that's a toxic combination, metal spikes and teenagers. And so he was watching his wife make breakfast one day and she was pulling waffles out of a waffle iron. And without saying a word, he ran back to his high school chemistry lab, got some latex, poured it in the waffle iron, lifted it out and said, that could be a tennis shoe. Fun fact, that beat up old rusted waffle iron is now displayed like a museum piece in the headquarters of Nike. That's how Nike started. Bill Bowerman, he was a track coach. He was one of the founders of Nike because he watched his wife making waffles. And you know now it's one of the best brands in the world. And what Johansson shows is that behind almost every person, and I can give lots of examples of myself, that you're in a new place and you see something that doesn't make sense, or you have a conversation at a conference that sparks a new idea with someone, or you read a book and it unleashes something in you that you didn't know that was there. So these spark moments create the initial advantage that begins momentum. And you talk about that in your book about your click moment at South by Southwest. Can you tell us about that? Well, I've had a lot of click moments. I wrote the first book on influencer marketing. It came out in 2012. And that really changed a lot for me because it thrust me onto the national stage. Now, how did that happen? Back then, these new companies were beginning that said, we can measure your influence based on your activity on social media. And people hated this idea, hated this idea. And I was a skeptic, but I went down the rabbit hole and started studying these things. I started to understand that there might be something there. So the founder of one of these companies was talking at South by Southwest. And I thought, well, I'd like to talk to this guy and learn some more and interview him for my blog. And so I waited in line, probably 30 minutes. He was very gracious. He agreed to talk to me. And during our conversation, a light bulb went off that really changed my life. And it was this. People said, look, I'm influential in my office. I'm influential at church. I'm influential in my family. You can't measure my influence. And here was the light bulb that went off. Influence on the internet is determined by who can move content, who can move ideas. If you can move ideas, you move influence. If you can do it a lot, you're more influential. And I realized, wait a minute, he can measure influence and we are on the brink of an entirely new marketing opportunity. 
the power is shifting in our world from Madison Avenue and Wall Street to Main Street to you and me. Anybody with a keyboard and a Wi-Fi connection is going to be able to create content and have influence in this world. And it just lit up like a runway at O'Hare for me. And that became the book. And it was a best-selling book. It hit number one on Amazon. I got into the national press. And really, it was from that one conversation that it launched me into a whole new level of momentum. Let's talk about the elements around that. You talk about this in the book and you use several stories to tell this, but you boil it down at one point with the statement of curiosity matching to customer needs. Well, the next step in this process is really what I call the seam. And the seam is some shift that creates an opportunity, a fracture in the status quo that creates new unmet or underserved customer needs like a pandemic, right? This is a biggest shift in our lives. <laughs> this is the biggest fracture in the status quo we will ever experience, let's hope. And with that comes opportunity. It's sure, it's sad, it's tragic. Everyone is suffering. But I predicted last March that we would have more startups in America than any time in our history. And that has come true. We've lost many businesses, but we've had more startups than the business losses. Why? Because we have new ways to learn and work and educate our kids and entertain ourselves and relate and date and eat and everything. And it's just created this giant fracture and people what? They have some core competency, some initial advantage that they can apply to that opening. And then you go through that opening as fast as you can, as large as you can, and fill that space. And that's what creates a great business. You talk about that in terms of speed, time, and space. Yeah. With speed being, I think, very important to that, correct? It's essential. I was talking yesterday. I do a lot of coaching and consulting with entrepreneurs and people doing startups. And this guy was starting this new business and he really had a good idea. But the problem is big tech companies could easily copy his idea. It would be difficult to get patents on what he was doing. And even if he did, there would be ways around it. So, I mean, what we talked about is his next step is he's got to get some money. He's got to get money and marketing support. And he's got to burst through that seam so fast, so big and dominate. We see this happening now, for example, with Clubhouse, right? Clubhouse, what's the seam? People are isolated. People are lonely and bored. They need a place to talk. Clubhouse, right? See, initial advantage, burst through a seam. Now, guess what? Twitter is working on a Clubhouse. It's called Spaces, it's out. Facebook is working on a Clubhouse. LinkedIn just announced they're creating a Clubhouse, right? It's not rocket science. Clubhouse just got an infusion of cash. They have got to just blow everybody out or they're going to lose, right? So that's what they're doing right now. It's space, speed, and time. Time is right. The space is open. And now they need the speed and they need to go through and blow through that thing and dominate or they're going to lose out. Yeah. You talk about the timing aspect where the idea meets ideal timing. I've read a lot of books. And I've actually been involved in some companies where great idea, but the timing was off. Oh yeah. 
how do you, I mean, are there clues or indicators that you should be looking for around timing? Well, the good news is when I was growing up in business, to test a market, you had to make something, right? There was no internet. You had to have equipment in your garage and you probably needed to have marketing support and finance support and all this stuff. Today, you can test almost anything on the internet, even a physical product. You can go, you can go to crowdsourcing. You can go to all these different places and test your ideas. And so you can create, as Eric Reese calls, a minimal viable product and test, test, test. So timing is crucially important, but it's not as big of an obstacle as it was 30 years ago. So that's the good news. We also have access to almost unlimited information and research. We have simple ways. You can do a survey with 5,000 people for like $99. So there's lots and lots of different ways to test things. So timing isn't the hurdle that it used to be. However, it's something I still struggled with in this book because it is so important. And so I didn't want to say, oh, well, it's just random. You got to take your best shot. So I did focus on what can you do to really prepare yourself to make sure you're focused and you're ready to burst through that seam. And I focused on this idea of worthiness. Is the idea worthy of an audience? Most of all, I ran into this the other day. This fella, I mean, he had an amazing, he had an idea. He loved this idea. There was no way this thing was going to fly. He was way, way too late. The audience was gone, but he just can't give it up, right? Because it's about ego, not about customers. So is it worthy of the customer? Are you really listening? Is it worthy of the battle? It's hard launching a new idea. It's hard launching a new product. It takes a lot of sacrifice. So I walk people through questions really to help them be prepared for that seam. Yeah, that's one thing I loved about your book is that you don't just talk about these, you really break it down for people with those questions and examples and things you really need to think about. Moving past the seam, the next phase is the sonic boom. Tell us about your first sonic boom. My first sonic boom. I love that story. (laughs) Yeah, my first sonic boom. Well, let's first of all, let's talk what is a sonic boom. Yeah, let's start there. It's probably better. So I think if you're a marketing geek like I am, this is the most fun part of the book because it brings out some new ideas and some new research about how massive awareness really works. And it talks about product launches, marketing, publicity. It's not a 12-month campaign. You really need to focus on a couple of weeks and you need to just There's specific ideas in the book, but you need to capture as much of the conversation in your industry as you can for a concentrated period of time. So I was really fortunate. And when my first book came out, I had a PR team behind me at McGraw-Hill. And so I was doing a number of different interviews and I was in New York and I was going right down Fifth Avenue and Broadway, hitting all the big media outlets, you know, Wall Street Journal and Bloomberg. And then I literally, in Chelsea, I was walking back to my hotel. I will never forget the exact spot I was standing in. And the editor from McGraw-Hill said, at 6 a.m. tomorrow, a limo is going to pick you up and take you to CBS. You're going to be on the CBS Morning News. And I was terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's big time. I think it was like 6 million viewers or something like that. And so I steeled myself and thought, here is the only goal you have for the next 12 hours. Do not embarrass your wife. 
so here I was, and one of the interviewers was Gail King, and who was Oprah's best friend. I have this whimsical little race in the book between me and Tim Ferriss about who's going to meet, meet Oprah. And Gail King comes into the green room with my book filled with post-it notes. I actually still have the picture. I should have put it in the book. And Gail says, Mr. Schaefer, I loved your book. They give us these business books and we're supposed to read them. I hate these books. I loved your book. And it was all highlighted and she had post-it notes. And we had a great interview and I was one degree away from Oprah. That was my big shot. There I was. I got in, it was probably what, a five minute interview, seven minutes maybe. And I was in front of 6 million people and boom, I'm number one on Amazon. I think I was number one in the marketing category for, I don't know, maybe five or six weeks. So I thought it was easy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh boy, it's not that hard. Yeah. You write a book and boom, here I am number one on Amazon. And, but that really was, I mean, it's just like concentrated amount of awareness. The next phase that you talk about is personal velocity. It's really for most of us that are going through this, we're going to be starting from a standstill. So for that reality, how do we overcome cumulative advantage? Yeah, this is in a way, it ties to one of my earlier books called Known about how to build your personal brand. One of the things I emphasize in all my writing is that there's really no overnight success. And I tell this story in the book that was had a big impact on me. I don't know, maybe it was six or seven years ago now. I got to go backstage and I got to meet the Black Keys. This is well-known rock band, one of the biggest rock bands in the world now. But at that time, they were still playing clubs that held maybe a thousand people. And, but they had just released a new album that was really taking off. And they had certainly hit a new level of momentum. And this was at a time when I was building my own personal brand. So there was definitely a parallel here. So I sat down and I was talking to the drummer. I said, what was this catalytic moment? What took you to this next level of momentum? He said, there wasn't one. He said, look, we've been touring for seven years. We've had seven albums. And every album is a little bit better than the last one. Every tour is a little bit better than the last one. I think it was two and a half years later, after I had that interview with them, they sold out Madison Square Garden in 15 minutes. And everybody said, oh my gosh, they came out of nowhere. No, they had been working for nine years. I write books, popular books that people buy. You know what? I blogged 650 weeks in a row without missing. I've had a podcast for nine years, never missed an episode and always delivering excellent content. There's always one thing in my mind. I will never let you down with any content I produce. It's great, consistent content, great, consistent content, engagement, connection, being generous, being helpful. All the things you certainly teach as well, Chris. There's no overnight success and consistency is more important than genius. You hear that all the time, especially in in music. I love that story because you talk about a lot of bands like that, that like Hooting the Blowfish was one of my favorites when I was in college or whatnot. They had this very similar story where they spent a lot of time touring, playing the same songs for years that became their first big album. You talk about reaching out and reaching up. 
in this that basically we don't do it alone. How do you reach out and reach up? I think that's one of the most fun parts of the book. I've got some wonderful stories in there from people that have really made mentoring sort of an art and science. And what I do in this chapter is challenge people to, first of all, reimagine what this is supposed to be. Traditional view of mentoring is a long-term relationship and with the teacher, you someone who teaches you. And I just think that's an anachronistic view of what can happen today. I think momentum really occurs is when a person creates a new opportunity for you that you couldn't do on your own. In fact, this is the best and fastest way to get momentum is just having someone make an introduction for you, give you some insight, even encourage you can create a new level of momentum. And yes, this is important. Reaching up, reaching out. It's also something we can also do as individuals. If we are in a good position to share our, our status, really, stat, share our place in the world and share it with others and make introductions, it's really, really powerful. When I ask my guests on Sales Lead Dog, first question is always, what are the three things that have most contributed to your success? The most common answer I get is they were mentored by someone that really helped propel their career and really helped them. I wish I would have talked to you six months ago. I would have put you in the book because that's a great quote. <laughs> that's so powerful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so consistent. Probably eight out of 10 times, there's a mentoring component in there. And so I always like to ask that question, if I want to be mentored, what's the wrong way to go about that? Well, number one, going to someone without a plan, going into something without really knowing who that person is, asking them if you can pick their brain, that is a sure sign of, I will say no. <laughs> <laughs> It's just lazy. It's yeah. lazy. Yeah. It's basically saying, I want your time for free and I don't respect you. I think the key idea is to look for some mutually beneficial arrangement. One of the people I highlight in this book is a wonderful, wonderful man, great intellect, Matthew Sweezy. He is the marketing futurist of salesforce.com. And he talks about really studying people looking at them from every angle and getting to know them so well that you think of what are the questions these people are dying to be asked that no one is asking them and illustrating to this person that, look, here's something I can bring to the party too. It's thinking about what is the value I can add to this person? What is the special connection that we can have that's mutually beneficial? It doesn't have to be a year-long thing where I meet you for an hour every month. Those days are just over. Nobody needs another full-time unpaid job being your mentor. But look, I'm happy to answer a question every once in a while or introduce you to somebody that I know to get you moving in the right direction. Yeah. I think that's so important that if you're going to reach out to someone and say, hey, I want your help, but I'm not just going to take from you, that it is going to be a reciprocal relationship. I'm going to do what I can to show you I value your time and I appreciate your time. I think that's so important. Yeah, I mean, there was a young man that reached out to me. He was a college student and, and he said, I want to be like you someday. And he went down and he, 
listed all these bullet points. And I mean, this guy had to like really, really study me because he got into some pretty obscure things. It's just like, wow, this young guy has really done his work. Of course, I'm going to help him and hear what he has to say. You really have had a very interesting journey. You talk about that in your book. You touch on certain points in your career. Looking back over your career, do you have any favorite moments or things that really stand out? Yeah. Actually, there's one thing I'll never forget. I think it was about, okay, it was 2013. I gave a lecture at Oxford University. And it was like Hogwarts. Did you have the correct robe on, correct house or whatever? Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And they brought in three different marketing classes and their professors in this auditorium. And I gave a three-hour talk where there was an intermission in the middle. And at the intermission, one of the professors came up to me and he said, Mr. Schaefer, not only am I learning a lot about marketing today, you're also showing me how to give a great presentation. And that night I took the train home and I just wished there was some way I could bottle up that feeling. Because if you think about where I started in my life, very humble, humble beginnings. We had eight people stuffed into a two bedroom house, one bathroom with eight people and really, really humble beginnings. And here I am at at Oxford And I just thought the ride home on the train that night, it just had this glow, this euphoria that, wow, what a moment, what a moment for me that I'll never forget. So that was something that truly was special for me. Yeah. I love stories like that. My father, who has been a big mentor to me, started out his working world as a ditch digger, basically for the local railroad. Eventually he worked into an office job as a draftsman but he became friends with the secretary of one of the executives. And at lunch one day, they found out that, hey, they're gonna buy their first computer and they need people to work on this computer. And so he asked, what do I need to do to get that job? And because he had that relationship and she made that introduction and said, hey, I really think you need to talk to this guy. He's got potential. They gave him the opportunity. He ended his career as an executive vice president at Citibank, leading major technology groups, starting out as a ditch digger at a railroad. What a man to be admired. Oh yeah. Yeah, that is a man right there that burst through every seam that was in front of him. Yeah, he really did. And and it was also, you talk about the consistency of purpose. When I look back at his career and listen to his stories, he was incredibly consistent in always delivering, always over-delivering, And definitely was not an overnight success, but he made it happen. Yes, absolutely. And I mentioned, you know, my attitude when I create content and serve my audience, I said, I'll never let you down. That's exactly the way your dad worked too. Yeah. yeah. What a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you bet. Mark, it has been absolutely tremendous having you on Sales Lead Dog. I have really enjoyed this time. If people want to reach out and connect with you, they want to get the book, it's available on Amazon, along with all your other books. But if they want to connect with you and find out more about you or more about what you're doing, what's the best way for that to happen? That's easy. It's hard to remember how to spell Schaefer, but it's easy to remember businesses grow. You can remember businessesgrow.com. You can find my blog, 
It's free to subscribe to. I give away all my best ideas. You know, I've got the Marketing Companion podcast. It's in the top 1% of all podcasts on iTunes and my social media links, my books, all as businesses grow. Yeah, that's terrific. Thank you again for coming on Sales Lead Dog. It's been great. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM. Delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.